Lord, we thank you for another day. We're just grateful. We never know what's going to happen in the future, but you do. And so, God, we thank you for carving out today. This is the day that you've made. We want to be filled with joy. We want to rejoice. We want to be glad because we follow you and you're worthy of our praise. And Lord, uh, we want to set the tone of the year and our life right. God, guide us, we pray. God, lead us, we pray. God, challenge us, we pray. God, correct us, we pray. God, encourage us, we pray. God, move us, we pray. God, we're looking to you, not just because it's the New Year's thing to do, but because no one else has the words of life but you, Jesus. And so as we open these words that you wrote for us, God, I pray that our hearts would be warmed with your love and that our minds would be readied to act and live. And thank you that you're already doing it. We just say your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Jesus' name, we prayed everyone. Amen. All right. Um, it is a new year. And, and with that, we all have our whatever mojo to get our New Year's going. But I thought it would be really good to start this new year and thinking about the calendar ahead with a word, and the word for us is unmistakable. It's just not a cute word. It's a purposeful word. What, what do we want to do? We want to live unmistakable lives this year. And you say, well, Jose, I'm not a wordsmith. Unmistakable means you can't mistake it. You can't misunderstand it. The word literally means obvious, or clear. I want to live a clear life. That you, you're, not, you're not wondering about me. We're not wondering about you. Who you are is obvious, and your love for Jesus is more obvious. And so to guide us in that pursuit, we want to look at this ancient letter called First Peter. And the message title for today, and I'm not big on titles, but this one I really am. It's called The Abundant Life. I'm convinced that following Jesus isn't just about what we do or we don't do, right? It isn't just about getting together. It isn't just about reading the Bible. It's about a life of abundance. Jesus said, I want to give you life and life to the full. And I wonder if you are even pursuing an abundant life. And that's the goal. We want to live unmistakable lives. And this unmistakable life is a life filled with Jesus' abundance. So, Whatever you think might happen this year, whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're dreaming about, whatever you're planning, whatever those things might be, I just pray for all of us that we would step into, whether those things happen or not, that we would step into the abundant life in Jesus because following him is about abundance and abundance is about to show up in the, the words we're going to read. So I don't just make this stuff up. I just try to read the Bible and respond. First Peter 1, read it with me, uh, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in, in abundance. All right, a little bit of helpful background for today. If you get our weekly, I recommended some written resources and a video resource 
to help get your mind grounded in the Bible this year. What is 1 Peter? Well, it is a letter, right? Different parts of the Bible are different kinds of writings. We need to know that we're reading someone's letter, and it's written to real churches in his day, but it's not like written to, to seven churches or six churches in Hillsborough. No, when he lists these names, their geography spreads to almost the entire state of California. This is written in a day where people walked. People went by animal. It's a huge region. So you could say to all of these churches, they all make up modern day Turkey, if you're interested in knowing where they are. But Peter is writing to all of these churches in all of these areas, all along the West Coast, we'll call it, because they had a common challenge and he has a common solution. And why did he write? So why the letter? Well, thankfully, um, you don't have to guess. He actually tells us at the end. So just flip a page or two to 1 Peter 5, verse 12, and he tells us exactly why he's writing. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a a faithful brother, notice, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. And then this line, that's a command. Stand fast in it. It's a letter about the genuine, authentic movement of God, the grace of God, the abiding presence of God, the goodness of God. So he's writing to encourage them about what they should already know. They already heard the gospel. They already responded to Jesus. And if you're not yet there, this is still for you. But if you are there and you have responded in faith to the goodness of Jesus, and you've invited him to transform your life, then this letter really matters. Here's why. In life, we need to be reminded. Any of you who's a spouse to someone or a roommate of someone realizes you could tell someone once and sometimes they'll get it. I need to be reminded the garage is still a mess. Still a mess. Still a mess. We need reminders. But we don't just need reminders because life can be challenging and, you know, life is kind of crazy these days and you can forget some things. We also need encouragement. He says, I'm writing to encourage you. God's grace is real and the things he's inviting us to step into to live unmistakable lives is real. But you need, to, you need to courage. And if your courage has been zapped in this endless season of negativity, join the club and prepare in this season as a church. We're starting the year now through past Easter. We're going to go super slow and we're going to suck every bit of life out of these words because they are life-giving words. And Peter tells us what we need to do. We need to, it says stand fast uh, in it in the New International Version that we read. Another translation says stand firm. I like that even better. Fast seems like speed. Firm sounds like grounded. And that's what he's actually meaning by it. Stand grounded. Stand, not sit, not fall down, not cave in, not give up. I'm inviting you, Peter says, with this encouragement and these reminders that your life could be unmistakable where everyone's crumbling, you don't. Why? You're standing firm on a foundation that is solid. So let me just ask the question, how firm is your faith in Jesus right now? Uh, now, you're not alone if you would say the last 20 months or so have been waffly. Uh, 
And, and if you've had seasons of real struggle, real doubt, honest wrestling, honest discouragement about your own walk with God or about God himself or about the world, you're not alone. We're all in a collective wonder. But the end result for the Jesus people is an invitation to stand firm. And there's no better person to write about standing firm than a guy who crumbled under pressure. First Peter is written by Peter, the apostle, right? One of the 12 who was with Jesus for years. Peter is the only one other than Jesus to walk on water. Wow. Peter's the one who sees Jesus while he's on the mount before going to the cross, transfigured into his holiness. He sees Jesus for who Jesus really is. And when Jesus says, when they're about, he's about to go to the cross, they don't know it. And he's like, I'm about to be arrested, put on trial, and I'm going to be condemned. And, and Peter's the one to stand up. No one else does. And say, Jesus, these flakes are going to deny you. I won't. How's that for confidence? If there's anyone who thinks he's firm, it's Peter. Because he's like, he's like, Jesus, even though every one of these chickens is going to leave, I will stand. And, and Jesus is like, hint, um, I think you're going to deny me. No, I'm not. And then Jesus is arrested, and Peter's the one who slices off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers, and Jesus heals. And they arrested him anyway. Well, it's another story for another day. He heals this person. And then Peter runs away. Why? It's real simple. You just chopped off like the Roman guards. They're about to kill you. And he runs. But he's the one who finds Jesus arrested. So he, he has a moment of caving in, but then he shows up. No one else is around. Peter's there, and he's, he's within an earshot, and they recognize he's the guy who's been with Jesus. And three times Peter denies the Lord, and then he weeps bitterly when he recognizes his own failure. He ran at the arrest, and he ran at the trial, and he wept. And Jesus, in his love, and this is why we need to know about the true grace of God, Jesus goes to the cross and rises again, and he finds Peter, and he finds him back fishing, and he says, feed my people. See, God can use failures. God loves to send grace to people who have moments or seasons of weakness and stumbling. So this letter is written to imperfect people like us about how to stand firm even though at times we're gonna, we're gonna cave in. Even great leaders have moments of weakness. And so don't be overly discouraged if the season's been rough for you, but get ready to be reminded and encouraged that God has better things for you this year. He has better things for your life. So I'm praying that we would have a passionate pursuit of Jesus like never before. Look, this isn't the January early hype talk, like join the gym and get thin and get fit and you know pay off your debt and rah, rah, rah. And February, we're all sliding down. This isn't that talk. This is an active call to a passionate pursuit of Jesus, not just at the beginning of the year, because Jesus matters any time of the year. 
And we want to see that happen. And so I'm letting you know, and those of you on our weekly, you already got a clue to this, in January, five Mondays in January, and we're inviting everyone in this church, everyone watching, to pray and fast on Mondays for five weeks. Why? Five sounds good. That's why. Five sounds good. It's better than four. It's like a whole hand. I can, I can get it. Actually, it takes three weeks or more to build a habit. So if we could do this over a five-week span, we can begin a lifestyle of regular, committed praying and fasting together in combination, not to impress God, but to invite his presence into our life. And you say, like, fast? Well, why, why do that? It's, it is a normal part of the Christian life. It's something we haven't talked about a lot. But to fast and to pray is to say no to food for a certain time so that I can make space in my soul for God. And so it could be as simple as you, tomorrow morning, instead of breakfast, you eat a ton for dinner tonight. And at 11.58, you snack to your heart's content. And instead of waking up to breakfast, if it takes me a few minutes to pull together coffee and whatever, I'm, I'm gonna say no to that and say, those 15 minutes, God, I'm gonna open the Bible. Print version, if you have one. Electronic, I do electronic. I just do, um, I just do this on Sundays to impress you. I do all my stuff on my computer. But, um, but open the book and... and and I'm just going to read or I'm going to listen to it. Close my eyes and just hear the word of God. Or I already have some sort of devotional resource and I'm going to let that intake. I'm going to say yes to God. Now, can you do that any? Absolutely. But there's something beauty about saying no to something because you esteem something more greatly. So what we're going to do is that could be one meal. It could be two meals and then eat dinner at night. The Jewish fast, the traditional fast, is sundown to sundown. So you eat tonight, and then you eat again a meal in the evening, and you give thanks to God. It, it, you say, I'm not there yet. Okay, mid-morning snack. Right? If I go to whatever mid-morning, I'm, I'm gonna take that time and repurpose it. We're inviting you to do that for five weeks, praying it becomes so normal that why, why didn't February look good? It's the love month, right? February, the Valentine's month. I love Jesus. And then March, we're moving towards Easter. It sounds great to do. And then, wow, April, it's like Easter month. And he's risen. He's risen indeed. Great. And hopefully, it kickstarts a rhythm of regular, intentional Jesus-seeking. Now, am I saying seek him Monday and ignore him Tuesday? No. But there's something about highlighting something together and knowing your Jesus family. Oh, by the way, we're going to put together a guide. If you get our weekly, if you don't get our weekly, jump to our website and give us your email once. And tonight you're going to get a guide for tomorrow, a guide of what to read, a guide of questions to ask, a guide of specific things to pray about. So we want to partner together. Wouldn't it be cool? There's hundreds and hundreds of people all around doing what you're doing together. It's just life-giving. So I'm inviting you to that. All right, let's, let's look at the text. We read two verses, and let's see what God has to say for us, and let's step into it tomorrow. Uh, the, the first verse, again, to God's elect, to the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I'm putting it up on the screen with four translations because there's an interesting difference here. I want you to notice the difference. Uh, NIV, 
exiles scattered. The English Standard Version, elect exiles of the dispersion. That's interesting. New American Standard Version, uh, the, those who reside as strangers. New Living Translation, those living as foreigners in the province. Why the difference? Exiles, scattered strangers, foreigners. What, what is this about? A little background is going to help. And um, he's giving a word picture, a metaphor. If I say duck, gives you, it's a metaphor, right, for a team that wears green and yellow. If I say beaver, it's a metaphor for another team that wears what? Orange and black. There are words that evoke pictures, and the word exile, foreigner, whatever, he starts the letter saying, you Jesus people, you are like this. And so knowing the picture is going to help. The picture here is of what these cities represented. The cities listed here are, they're all Roman colonies. Now, because we don't live in a colonial world, I need to give you some insight on this. Rome was the dominant power taking over literally the world, but they took over people that were unlike them. And so as they conquered, they had a huge challenge. How do you keep control and guide and integrate people who are very much unlike you? So what Rome did was genius. They set up these existing towns or created towns, and they made them colonies of Rome. You could call it Little Rome, like Rome in Oregon, Rome in California. And these were appointed cities that were supposed to produce change. They were stocked with people, so people throughout the empire could be sent as a colonist. They had to have at least 300 Romans, as high as 6,000. They would stack the deck. They gave them leadership responsibility. They upgraded their status. So if you wanted an upgrade, you were stuck in your town. You can have a new role and higher pay and more privilege as a colonist. And here was your role. You were fully aligned with Rome. And your goal was to live as a Roman person and influence everyone else. Because you're the leaders, leaders influence followers. And so the Roman colonists, their mission in life was to live Rome and call people. So from the top down, they're pushing Roman values. But the goal is also from the bottom up. And every way, in every way, they're trying to convert you to the ideology of Rome. How do you change a culture? How do you change a people? Let's flip it to us for a second because you want to see a stark contrast to these churches who were exiles, foreigners. Imagine, it's 2022. We've already had weirdness. But this year, I pray it doesn't happen. This year, there is a surprise takeover, but it's not by a Republican or a Democrat or a Green Party. We are attacked and invaded, and to our surprise, we fall in Portland to a superpower that's Islamic. And suddenly, there was American rule of law, but now it's declared Sharia, Muslim law in Portland. Take it or leave it, this is the way. That would immediately put us as foreigners where we already live. Exiles, living as a Jesus people, now in a land where that is not allowed or Oppressed. By the way, that sounds theoretical. It's 
actually happening right now in Afghanistan. There are Jesus people, brothers and sisters in Christian churches who are now being told this is the way. So this isn't an ancient problem. This is a modern problem. But for us, let's just think about the contrast of what it would be and what it would look like. So a colony is set up to spread the values of the oppressor. A quote from Karen Jobs, a really helpful commentary on 1 Peter. Quote, such colonization was intended to accomplish one or more of three purposes. One, Romanize an area, introduced Roman language, culture, and politics to the native population through these colonists. Two, provide a strategic military presence, especially on the frontier. Uh, if you were on the edge where there was gonna be battle, they would stack it with retired military personnel to bring the, the air of military presence. Three, to foster and accommodate commerce between distant places in order to bring continuity Roman value, Roman law, Roman currency, everything. They had these pockets of little Rome everywhere. So here's my point. You have two groups of people existing in the same place. Those pro-Rome, Roman vision, Roman values, Roman worship, which is the worship of all of the gods, including Caesar, as divine. And then there's us. That's why he gives the metaphor. This is a word of reminder and encouragement. You are living in a world where the value and the system is not of Jesus, which puts you like a stranger. We should live as strangers in Portland, which is already weird, so we're like halfway there, right? We're already living in a weird place. Travel the world. We're weird. And, and that's culturally true but it's spiritually true. We have to take a mindset where we recognize we are not the dominant power. And most of the churches, churches and most of the church people were not of the dominant power. They weren't the colonists necessarily. They weren't the elite. And they felt like strangers. And that's what's gonna happen, which is why Peter starts with a reminder of who you really are. Who are you really? Today, I just wanna look at this intro and these first two verses are stocked and stacked with images that will set the tone for the rest of the letter. So let's look at, think of it. First is, you're in exile, you're a stranger, you're a foreigner, you live in a place, but you have to remember, as we live, we do not live by the cultural values that surround us. You say, well, that's okay in Portland. I would say, you're asking the wrong question. The moment you say, well, this is fine because everyone in the class is doing it. You gotta realize that's an okay question if you don't belong to Jesus. If you do belong to Jesus, you're asking the wrong question. Because if I'm looking to the people around me for values and vision, then I've missed the way of Jesus. So the church needed to be reminded because the culture in Rome was attractive. And by the way, there are other competing systems of living that are way more attractive on the surface. So the Jesus people need to be reminded, you are in exile. By the way, this, is, this happened to before. Abraham was chosen by God, but he lived in a foreign land. So he lived in a foreigner in a land because he belonged to God, but others weren't following him. The people of Israel 
lived as foreigners in Egypt because they were slaves, but they belonged to Yahweh. And then when they went to the land, they were living in a, in a region that had all these foreign gods and they were like exiles because they were following Yahweh, but others weren't. And then they were removed from their land because of disobedience. And then they're God's people in Babylon and they're under the Babylonian leadership, different vision and values. So God's people have always had this pattern. Uh, there's another New Testament phrase. We are in the world, but not of it. That's exile. I'm in it. I really belong here. Do not make an excuse to your boss saying, well, my preacher just said I'm... I don't have to worry about this because I'm, I'm in it, but I'm not in it. No, you're in it. You're in the world, but you're not of the culture and values of this world. We take our script from Jesus. Our guidance is the word of God. So that's gonna cause challenges. So we need to be reminded of something. Um, what do we need to be reminded of? We are God's elect. Notice how he starts. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles who are scattered. He begins with this reminder. Now, he's invoking what they already know. Maybe this is like new language for you, and that's totally cool. But we are God's elect, chosen as part of God's family. Now, elect simply means to be chosen as part of the family of God. It's the reminder that God was working before you were responding. That's what it means to be elect. And when I hear the good news, and when I respond to the good news, and when I realize who Jesus is, and I say, I put my trust in you, I am a part of God's elect. God was working, guiding me to see Jesus for who he is. And God accepts rebels like us. I was a rebel and I was not following God, but God in his love has forgiven me in Jesus. I'm a part of God's family. And that's gonna help encourage me when I feel not at home here because the vision and value is so different and I feel out of place. You may feel out of place here, but you have a place. It's called God's family. We belong to him. And so God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all at work. He front loads this. To all of you who feel like strangers and foreigners, God, God, God. Notice, he says, God the Father called you before you even knew it, which is good news. If, if I was resting in my ability and my response to Jesus, if I think I'm the center of the story, then man, I'm in trouble because what happens when I, like Peter, fall short? My faith isn't in me. My faith is in God. And God was moving, we know because we read the whole Bible, from creation. And from Adam and Eve's first failure, God was working to send Jesus. This is good news. And I belong to the family that God has been working since the beginning of time to rescue God, the Spirit, made us holy. Notice, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What's sanctifying means? It means to set apart as altogether different. Holy means useful in a unique way. And so the Holy Spirit has set me apart to enjoy God's presence. This is a reminder. And by the way, this, this is popping off all sorts of visuals in their mind because they know the Bible better than we do. Uh, in 
the first part of the Bible, when people wanted to enter God's presence, they had to be careful because he's holy, we're not. And so there were all sorts of purifications. So you would wash your hands. Why? It's a visual. God is pure and I am not. Everything in God's space, the tabernacle and the temple, had to be set apart as holy. It was normal stuff. It was like wood and it was gold and there were stones. And in the tabernacle, there was like curtains. They were normal, but they were made holy. They were set apart. They were treated different because this is the place where God's presence dwells. And you know what he says? In light of the Bible, in light of Jesus, you have been made holy by the Holy Spirit. So it's like I made myself holy. Here he's not talking about holiness in that there is a call for us to grow in following Jesus and we grow over time living more like Jesus. So holiness is something we grow into. But here he's referring to you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Bam! Holy. In that moment, your past is forgiven in full. In that moment, you were transported from an enemy God to a friend and a child of God. This is the work of the Spirit. In other words, you're living in a dominant power that may have the ability to crush you, but guess what? They can't crush God. The Father called you. The Spirit made you holy. And then the Son cleaned you so that you now have the ability to obey God. Look at what it says. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Now, if you're new to the Bible, that is a freaky phrase. If you have a nosebleed, you sprinkle your blood on me, I'm going to tackle you. Like, that is just weird. No, no, it's a, it's a Bible phrase. The way you made an object in the temple or tabernacle holy was to sprinkle the blood of the innocent lamb. It was a visual. In order for us to be made able to enjoy God's presence, there is a sacrifice required. And the blood of the innocent animal sprinkled on that object now reminded us we are guilty, but God in his grace provides freedom and the ability through the sacrifice of an other who is holy that can be made holy and I can enjoy God's presence. And by the way, this was done in Jesus once for all. Because of Jesus, any human who is sin-filled and rebellious is now enabled to come to God's presence. Maybe this isn't exciting to you. This is life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. So another helpful quote from Scott McKnight, another great commentary on 1 Peter. Quote, while these people are socially strange and foreign in Asia Minor, while they're excluded, powerless, homeless in the Roman Empire, in God's family, they are citizens. Included, they are royalty. They are at home as God's people. Now, don't miss the pathway because you can read it too fast. They were to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with his blood. So you say, well, I want to grow in God's presence this year. We're inviting you on Monday. You can do it any day of the week, but on Monday to, to invite God's presence to be real in your life. How do I grow in the presence of God day by day, week, week by week? 
It comes through obedience. Obedience is the pathway to God's presence. Not just hearing this is right. Actually, hearing this is right, internalizing this is right, therefore I gotta evaluate myself. Am I in line with that? Am I in try, trying to reinterpret that to make me right? No, God is right. I am part right. Actually, I'm a lot of wrong. I realign my life to say, if this is right, God, help me, empower me to live into what's right. And that's called obedience, which implies I want to know what God says, which is why the letter is written to remind them of what God says so that we can live obedient lives. Look, what is God's will for your life? That you will obey Jesus. Not your version of Jesus, not the convenient Jesus, but the real Jesus. And that's our prayer this year. So what do we need? And he ends it with this, with this line. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's why I'm calling the message the abundant life. The abundant life has nothing to do with your bank account. It could impact your bank account, but the abundant life isn't about a collection of stuff. The abundant life isn't a carefree life. The abundant life isn't the American dream. The abundant life is I've been called by God. I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm now holy. I can enjoy his presence. And the way I enjoy his presence is by obeying the Son. That's the abundant life. And when you're living into that, you know what? Grace God's favor that we can't buy, his goodness that we don't deserve, his empowering presence, and peace, life the way it's supposed to be. God brings that to you. How much? In trickle? No, in truckload, in abundance. And this year could be the most chaotic year. I made my New Year's resolution not to make any predictions. I have no idea. And you know, frankly, I don't even care what comes our way. Here's why. I know God, and you know God, and the Father, Son, and the Spirit are working in our lives, and for us, I will make it. I will grow, I will overcome, and so will you when you recognize it's from God to you, and now you walk in it. We belong to God. So we want to, this year, mark it with an abundance mentality. Here's why. He reminds them to encourage them. Let me remind you, for 20 months, you've been pelted with negativity. You know that. I know that. But here's what's happened. It's affected our mindset. And our mindset has first defaulted not to faith, but to fear. I love you. Stay six feet away. I trust you, don't come over my house. We are defaulting to fear. Now, hear me clearly. Out of love, we respect these things out of concern for our friends. But we can't let the mindset of fear dominate those who belong to Jesus. So I'm gonna remind you that we live with the God of abundance. There's grace and peace for you. See, I messed up this year, in the past year. There's grace and peace for you. you. You've fallen off. You've fallen by the wayside. No, you haven't. You stumbled. Now get up. You're, you're not where you want to be. Well, great. God provides the pathway. It's called obedience. Hear what you know that's true 
and live into it. Well, I don't have the power to. Well, the power is never from you anyway. It's from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So now you belong to God. We belong to God. I hope you're walking out of this gathering this morning recognizing that the creator of the universe is empowering you. You can live the abundant life. I hope to live the abundant life this year, which is the unmistakable life, where it's obvious, where it's clear. You know what's clear? We belong to Jesus. So we're not going to have faith in our faith. We're not going to be impressed with ourselves. We're going to invite God this year to be God in our lives. And we're going to do it with eyes wide open, recognizing much of the culture doesn't see this as valuable. Much of the culture right now would call you a fool. You go to church. You read a dusty old book. Wait a minute. You're saying that God has a vision for your life that may conflict with your vision? That makes no sense. The greatest thing in life that you could do is be true to you, no matter what your sense of true is. Why would you hold yourself back? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you give in to the cravings? Look, don't you know that those cravings need to be met? All of that is satanic. Amen. Think about that. Everything I just said, those phrases do not come from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they do not lead to the abundant life. They lead to our own demise. But we are reminded of the Word of God so that we can obey the Word of God and we can grow in abundance. Isn't it good? We're only two verses in. I'm kind of getting giddy. Okay, what do we do? You have a homework assignment. We want to make room for the presence of God to be reminded and encouraged. So tomorrow, I'm inviting you. You say, I'm not ready for the fasting. You can't fast a cookie. That's another story for another day. But, but let's just, then, then take the time. You say, what, what time is enough? I say, yes. You have toddlers? You get five minutes in the presence of God, A++. If you're empty nesting, you could do more than five minutes. You could do more than five minutes. Anyone with a little one, five minutes, and everything above that is gravy. But for most of us, we know that we can enjoy God more. We're just choosing to say yes to the Roman colony, which is... Netflix, Hulu, socials, and everything else. Because that's what the colony is saying is going to bring the abundant light. So let's, let's not, this isn't a guilt trip, it's an invitation to live. Let's press in to the presence of God. Okay, um, I'm going to invite the team to come back. And they're just going to play because we want to step in together. So I'm going to invite you to stand your legs are numb. Come on, these plastic chairs will kill you. Stand on your feet if you would. And, and uh, someone agrees, finally. They're, they're plastic on purpose. We don't want you to be comfortable. <laughs> no, they're actually cheap and easy to clean. So, uh, uh, but cushy chairs will put you asleep in church. You have communion. 
It's for those who follow Jesus. Remember, he's writing to who? God's elect. Those that God had been working beforehand to bring to the fullness of saying yes to Jesus. And if that's you and you belong to Jesus, this is for you. And here's what we want to do uh, today. We want to be God's people together. We're going to stretch ourselves all throughout the year to grow in God's presence together. And so every week we take communion. If you're a part of our church, you know that. And we do it multiple ways. And today I'm going to invite you to do it this way. Uh, and hear me all the way through. And then we're going to worship and respond uh, through song and through giving and uh, in a moment after we're done doing this together, the, the prayer area is open. If you want prayer for anything, we'd love to do that and pray with you. But I'm going to invite you to get into groups in a moment of three, no more than four, right? Just you're going to circle up with a stranger, but they're actually not a stranger. We just heard they're chosen by God. They're a brother. They're a sister. And then today, I'm going to invite one of you. So you're going to go around. If you don't know each other, it's helpful. Jose. Meredith, Ryan, that's it, no, no long story. But it's good to know a name, great. And one of you is gonna elect yourself to pray. The others are gonna say, thank God. So they're gonna love you. And if, you don't have to do the praying, but one of you, and you're just gonna pray a blessing over your little group. Lord, this year, God, we're inviting you to whatever comes to mind, you know, not long. Just wanna pray blessing over your brothers and sisters. We want to pray God's grace. We want to pray God's peace. We want to pray God's mercy. We want to pray God's, whatever comes to mind, just pray that over your group. And then when you're done, just take together uh, conveniently the bread first, right? And take that, melt that out, and then, and then the cup, and then and drink that. And, and then Ryan and the crew, we're going we're gonna to worship God together. Does that make sense? Uh, here's why we're doing this. The grace of God does not come from a stage. And the problem with doing church this way is you're all looking my direction. Thankfully, I don't have a complex, so I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But that's not, that's not how God most often works. Most often, he's just at work with a couple of people with their Bible open. So we want to create environments for that. So uh, don't feel like you have to do anything. Just stand there if you're like new to this. But if God's stirring you, then, then pray. Receive God's grace and mercy. It's in and through Jesus. The body, his body broken for you. His blood, his blood sprinkled on you, metaphorically, that makes you holy. You can live in the presence of God because of Jesus. And then we want to worship and just thank God for his goodness and invite the Holy Spirit, who's the sanctifier, the holy-making one, to renew our lives. Man, this is going to be the best year of my life. Some of you are like, great, I'm unimpressed. I pray it's the best year of your life, even if it's the hardest, because of Jesus. Lord, as we come collectively to you, call on your name, we want you to be honored. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three, yet one. Lord, we don't even understand that, but we worship you because you're beyond us.